Have you been looking for an editor or you're looking at the impending probability that you're going to need an editor and the idea of the search or even just the idea of working with somebody you don't know on your your baby you know your manuscript is your baby you've spent years working on it or maybe you're one of those few lucky ducks who spent months but still (laughs) and the idea of handing this over to a complete stranger is just nerve-wracking and terrifying especially when there's been a really recent influx of horror stories pun intended of terrible experiences where people's work is stolen people's money stolen and you're just like I don't want that. I'm just going to self-edit and publish and just skip all that mess. And yet, you know, and you especially know if you've been listening to this podcast for quite a while and following me on Instagram stuff, that that self-editing absolutely is not a viable replacement for professional editing. Nothing can replace professional editing. But the thought of accidentally picking the wrong person or inadvertently getting scammed and losing all your hard-earned money and and maybe even losing your hard work itself. It's just too terrifying. This is the podcast episode for you because I created not only this episode, but an entire workbook to help you avoid all that mess. You're listening to The Writer's Workshop, a weekly podcast about writing, publishing, and the art of storytelling. I'm Nikki Aubercat, book editor, writer, and cultural anthropologist. All right, so I, I gotta be honest, I have kind of uh, put the podcast aside for a hot minute. Um, there was a lot of things that was going on in August. Um, I know, and I, I say this because I realized that my 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 intro is always you know, a weekly podcast, and you're probably like, wow, weekly, bi-weekly, monthly, what is it, Nikki? <laughs> um, lately, it's been a when I can get to it podcast. Um, and here, here's what, what was going on in August. And I feel like everybody I've talked to is like, wow, you too? August is kind of this existential black hole where life just sort of swirled together in this messy chaos and we all just kind of swam through it. And now that September is approaching, we're all back in the game. It, it's, it's so funny. Like the authors I work with, um, the colleagues I have, my own family, it, it's just been quite a ride. Now, there are absolutely some fantastic parts of August if you follow me on Instagram, you probably saw some posts on the early weekend. Um, I went to Irish Fest one uh, in Waterloo, Iowa. It is one of the largest Irish festivals in the nation. And it's in my hometown in Waterloo, Iowa. Every year, um, first week of August or first weekend, I should say of August. And, and this is no small feat. Like they shut down half the city for this festival it is phenomenal. We got to see Gaelic Storm. Um, maybe you know the band. It, you actually, you know what? You know the band, even if you don't realize you know the band. If you've seen the movie Titanic, and if you haven't seen the movie Titanic, I gotta ask, what rock are you living under? <laughs> but if you've seen Titanic, and you remember when Jack and Rose are dancing in the third class, and they're like, Rose, wow, you've got some some um, fancy footwork there, and the the band is there playing the fiddle and the drums and all. That is Gaelic Storm. 
So yes, I got to see a Hollywood band live only a few rows away. Again, was a, another amazing um, Celtic band. And what makes them really neat is that they actually educate you at this festival and others as well on the evolutionary process of music as it comes from the old world or the motherland and then ends up in America. It was just, it was just really neat. And I know it's like a total tangent from what we're going to talk about today, but I just had to share with you, if you haven't checked it out on Instagram, I do um, make a really, I do try, I do make a really solid effort to save all the stories I post because I know stories vanish after 24 hours. So you should be able to go into this, I think it's called story time, that, that tab in my Instagram feed and actually see one of the videos I took of City and Plain. And also just kind of over, I overlaid, you know, like, hey, this might sound familiar. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what is gypsy music doing at a Celtic festival? And so I was able to talk about that. It was just, it was just really neat. And I gotta say, Ireland, if you're a storytelling fanatic like I am, Ireland is just an island of stories. It is phenomenal. And I was telling a, a friend of mine, actually, I was, yeah, I was telling a friend of mine who is also very Irish, very, very Irish. <laughs> I'm like, you know what's amazing about Ireland is that you go there and it's not just people that live there. You know, there's a whole mystical quality of like this whole other existence. And when, it, when you get to celebrate it at festivals like this, it's kind of like bringing Ireland to you. And I'm like, yeah, that's, that's exactly it. So that, that's just my aside. And then... When I was ready to record the podcast for the week right after that festival, I had no voice. <laughs> so that's where the story is leading. I lost my voice because there were just too many amazing Celtic bands at this festival that I had to scream for, you know, because because as you do when you've had a lot of um, Irish cream and Guinness and haggis. <laughs> that being said, and then, then I had to travel back. Oh, and I also... Um, I have a new assistant editor who is a bit of a perfectionist. His name is Quill and he has a cute stubby little tail and the most beautiful stripes and spots on his fur. I was uh, actually talking to his new vet here in Chicago and we're strongly suspicious. He's probably part Egyptian Mao, which has always been my dream cat. Um, so I should, I should definitely do a whole other episode just on Quill because the story of how we happen to find each other is pretty fantastic. <laughs> so that happened. And then I finally went back home after visiting family and going to the festival and obtaining a cat. And then my grandmother passed away and she happened to live in the state that I had just left. I'm like, grandma, I love you, but why, why now? I was, I was there. I, I could have easily just, gone a few extra hours and, and been there. But no, she, she uh, passed away the week after I left. So coordinating all that was, was quite a feat. And as you can imagine, it was just a lot of, um, I ended up staying in Chicago. It was just going to be too hard to go all the way back and then some, and then come back. You know, it was just, it was just chaotic. But I did take some time off to just uh, focus on family fo and, and now my, my furry family as well and, and just get back together. During this time, though, and here's, here's where we get into today's topic. During this time, I definitely still kept a, kept a pulse on 
the writing world, like what's going on. And also, obviously, we're still editing and reading and all the things that I do. Because I also um, am a judge for a book contest right now. And it's actually, I'm not going to share which one it is until after <laughs> the results are posted. But it's, it's a pretty heavy hitter. And I'm really honored to be part of that. So I've been reading the books for that. So I can, you know, give my evaluation. Um, I've been editing, but I've also just been paying attention to the editing experience with uh, writers and aspiring authors and recently published authors um, as they share in places like Facebook groups and, and Reddit and just other, you know, social media. And I've noticed that there has been a recent surge of horrible experiences, which really alarmed me. Once or twice every now and then makes sense because, you know, nobody's perfect. You're going to have some issues. Um, every now and then I'd see one where it's like, I submitted my work to my editor and I haven't heard from them in three weeks. Um, that is actually pretty typical. That's not how I do. But it is pretty typical, especially if you're working with like a big five or someone who used to work for a big five publishing house. That's just how they do it. But when I saw post after post after post about theft, like editors taking money and not doing the work, editors taking the money and the work and publishing it as their own, like all these just horrible, horrible, unethical, immoral, and really actually quite illegal experiences. First of all, I'm like, how the heck is this even happening? And second of all, how the heck are people able to do this? Which, you know, kind of the same question, but also kind of different. Um, and and here's, here's what I mean by that. You know, on one hand, it's like, okay, what kind of person do you have to be to present yourself as a professional in a well-established field like publishing? And yet you're just a scammer. Like you're using that to scam people. I, I just, I can't wrap my mind around what kind of person or personality that has to be to be like, yeah, I'm going to promise you I'm going to edit your book because I am an editor, but once you pay me, I'm just going to ghost you. Like, that, that's, that's not okay. But on the flip side, my other question was, how are these authors not seeing the red signs, like not seeing all the warning signs that this person might be a scammer or this person just might not be at the level of professionalism that is desired or needed for this type of work. And that was actually the easier question to answer. You don't know what you don't know. And I want to be, I want to be perfectly honest. There are amazing editors out there. There are amazing professionals in so many different industries as well. who don't know how to run a business. And it's, Something that I'm still mulling on, I might actually end up doing something about this to help out on the business end for other editors. Uh, but, but the reality of it is you could absolutely meet and maybe even work with someone who is phenomenal at the editing, like the actual craft of it, but they don't know how to operate on a business and professional level. I've personally seen this happen both in editing, also in the salon industry. I've also seen this in other creative, really in creative fields. Pick a creative field. You're going to have a ton of amazing artists who just don't know how to run a business. On the flip side, you can also have people who are amazing business people who have no idea what they're doing. Um, I've seen that happen as well in, in many fields, including editing, like the publishing world and the salon world and academia 
and all these other places. Um, so the, the key is to find that healthy balance between the two. And that takes knowing what you're looking for. And that really takes knowing what you should look for. Since it seems to be a bit of a struggle, especially since you don't know what you don't know, if you don't know what to look for, you don't know what's missing. And so that's what inspired me really to create the Wordsmith workbook. Fun little aside, Wordsmith is a synonym for editor. I thought was kind of cool. And if you know me or if you've been paying attention to how I do, um, I'm all about alliteration. I'm all about playing with words. I'm also all about semantics. I actually thought about becoming a lawyer. Uh, there was a very important time in my life, actually just a couple of years ago, where I had to fight for myself, you know, and, and fight to maintain myself because uh, things happen. And I'll talk a little bit about it in just a moment. But when I actually had to speak with an attorney to get advice and I was pointing, I had, oh my gosh, I arrived with like a stack of, of evidence, of paperwork, everything. And I was pointing out like all the semantics that worked in my favor and all the semantics that proved I was absolutely defensible and, and like needed and was justified in pursuing this. He was like, wow, have you ever, have you ever thought about pursuing a, a, career in the legal field. And I'm like, no, but I could look into that. And I did. I actually looked into that and I decided now it's just not me. Um, but it did that experience and also many other experiences throughout life, even since childhood, sadly, since childhood, really learned just how powerful semantics are. Semantics is the focus on the meaning of a word, especially the literal meaning of a word. So what this means is when you focus on semantics, when you focus on the literal meaning of the word, it will either support your case or destroy your case. That combined with my business expertise, fun fact, I actually have a degree in business management. That was, uh, you know, it was one of those things that I obtained rather quickly and I did, I did go through actual college course. I have an actual college degree in business management. It just seems like such a blip in my life. And yet it was so powerful and so useful because it helped me really hone in business communications and also legal structures and really have a better understanding of how to run and operate a business. I also just come from a longstanding family background of entrepreneurs. So I'm taking all that plus just my recent experience, my knowledge in the publishing industry, everything like that and pouring it into the Wordsmith workbook. And then decided, you know what, we got to do a podcast to walk through it. So that's what brings us to today. And that is what brings me now to, to give you this walkthrough of the Wordsmith workbook. The link to this workbook is going to be in the episode notes. So please click on it. And please feel free to, to subscribe to my email list as you download the workbook. Um, because I promise you, I do not spam people. And what I mean by that is I just, I do it when the mood hits and when I have something really, really important or really valuable. And like, I mean, to me, very valuable, worth sharing and worth giving your inbox a gift. And so you can rest assured that I am not going to be in your inbox constantly just when, when the mood strikes, which isn't often. <laughs> 
So um, p- please feel encouraged to go ahead and sign up for that. At least you'll be updated and everything, um, and, and you'll be able to get the workbook. But let's talk about the workbook now. Let, let's just pretend that you've downloaded it, or you know, you can hit pause on the, on the podcast episode right now, go print it off, or at least download it so you can walk through it with me. Because it is literally how I worded it on the title page. It's everything to look for when you're looking for an editor. So I do give you a quick refresher on just, you know, what this is about. And also just a, a moment of congratulations that the fact that you're looking for an editor means that you've already actually passed the most difficult stage of the process, which is actually, actually finishing your manuscript. Now it's just the stressful part, which is choosing an editor. Now I'm just going to skip through that and we're going to the first worksheet. Because what this workbook is, is really just a, a brief series of worksheets that you are absolutely encouraged to reprint for every editor or company that you uh, inquire with. So let's talk, talk about the first one, the professional checklist. As I said, you could reprint this off. That's why I have editor name slash company. So you can use that space to identify who this particular worksheet applies to if you end up talking to several. And what I did on this one is created just a brief five question overview of themes and signals to look out for on the whole. These are things that are going to very accurately communicate to you aside from their own verbal communications what level of professionalism this editor has the more dedicated they are to their profession and to their career the more dedicated they're going to be in doing a fantastic job with your book and it also the the more you have a sense of how they're going to work with you are they going to treat you well are they going to answer your concerns with pleasant tones are they going to be easy to be open with and get personal with. I, I'll be honest, like I know that you know, I'm, I'm very aware of maintaining boundaries between uh, professional relationships and personal relationships, but I feel like I'm just a very amenable person and I'm very personable. Like I'm very real about how I do and how I work. And so the authors that I am very honored to be working with share in this. So we we have become, in a sense, really good friends. <laughs> Again, with, with the professionalism still attached, but the, the, the authors that I am currently working with know that they can absolutely come to me if they have any concerns. They can absolutely come to me if they have any questions. They can also just message me on the fly if they saw a really cool Starbucks Frappuccino recipe that I definitely need to try out. You know, like I, I want that door open. But not everybody operates that way. And so that's why I have certain questions throughout this workbook, but also on this page. So you can figure out how their working style meshes with your own. You really do want to match up with somebody who is similar to you in order for that relationship to really cultivate into a long-term thing. Because if your book is successful, you're going to want to write another book, which means you're still going to need an editor in the long run. So let's talk about these questions. I also have a note here to please keep in mind that while technical skills and verifiable experience are absolutely important and technically necessary, there are some phenomenal editors just now breaking into the industry. So please don't be hard on people who don't have books published on Amazon just yet. That does not mean they are inexperienced. It just means that their experience 
is in something not book related, it still can absolutely mean that they're a great editor. So please keep that in mind. All right, let's talk about the questions. Number one, how was the inquiry experience? Streamlined and smooth processes indicate a well-organized professional. This is important because the more organized they are with the onboarding and with just the business end indicates how organized they're going to be when they're working with your project and just deadlines, meeting deadlines, materials sorted. Do they have a filing system? I do. Um, I, even though it's all electronic, I have a very clean filing system. Um, nobody's work is getting lost. Nobody's communications, you know, like all the things. And you can tell, or at least I've been told by clients who have, who have gone through the inquiry experience with me, you can tell it's very streamlined. It's smooth. It's visually appealing. It does absolutely indicate I'm a very well-organized professional. It also looks like I've been doing this for years and years and years. I have actually been running businesses for years and years and years and years. So you can, you can absolutely tell that I have that professionalism as well as that dedication to just giving you an op optimal experience. So there's a couple things that I jotted down that you can mark off as they happen. The more that you can mark off, the better you can feel about this editor, even if they're brand new into the industry with a brand new title of editor to their name. Do they have a thorough intake form? An emphasis on thorough. Intake forms can be as minimal as name, email, brief summary, but the more thorough the intake form is, asking you questions about what are your goals, asking you questions about your budget, asking you questions about what is it you're looking for, other things that you want me to know, et cetera, et cetera. If you want a really solid example, just go to my website at NikkiAuberkit.com and click on the links. There's so many different links. So click on a link that will take you to the intake form just to take a look at it. It's thorough. I made it very thorough because I want you to be so aware of, first of all, how dedicated I am to you, but also what you can expect when working with me without even having to waste the time in scheduling a meeting. I want you to see immediately what you can expect. So if, if, if it's not me that you're, you're working with and you're looking at somebody else, which is totally fine, by the way, absolutely fine. No hard feelings. I'm one person. I can't edit every single book that ever gets written. <laughs> um, just, just give them, mark it off and give them points if they have a thorough intake form. If they don't, I mean, that's not a make or break deal, but it, it does raise some questions. So just keep that in mind. If they don't, it does sort of indicate they, there may be some hiccups down the road in how they run the business end. Is the response time within 24 hours? As long as, and I should have made known there, so I'm going to make a note here verbally for you. The 24-hour rule should apply only between Monday and Friday. And here's why. Most editors today work independently. They're technically what you would call freelance. I, I hate that word so much. Because uh, it has a really weird connotation to it. But, you know, technically, technically, I am freelance. Um, and so are many, 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 many editors, even some of the best out there. They're working for themselves. They're entrepreneurs. They're their own bosses. They don't want to work for somebody ever again. They want to work for themselves, which means that nobody can make us work weekends. And I'll be honest, I had to train myself to not work weekends. Um, because I was so used to not having Saturdays. I was so used to not having Sundays. I had successfully with the last 
brick and mortar establishment I worked for, I was able to get my Sundays back. And that took some adjustment because even before then, I never got holidays off, never got weekends off. It was just, it was the grunt work, you know, even in the, even when I was like working on a higher end profession, I was still working weekends. So recently, actually, when I just decided, you know what, no more brick and mortar, no more employee status. I am my own boss now. I woke up one day. I'm like, wait a minute. Why am I still working Saturdays? Oh my gosh. And so I did. I closed down my Saturdays. I closed down my Sundays. And now here's how this works. So I'll let you know, this is a nice little window into working with me, but also the grace that you should give. If you message a potential editor at like 10 PM on a Friday night and they don't respond by 10 PM Saturday, that's more on you than it is on the editor. You, you messaged, I mean, go ahead and also message, like definitely do it but you can't reasonably expect them to sacrifice their weekend just to talk business with you because it's the weekend. Just like we used to not be able to expect the United Postal Service, um, yeah, the USPS, to deliver mail on Sundays. Of course, we'd want that paycheck or we'd want that birthday package or whatever as soon as humanly possible, but we just knew it's not going to happen on Sundays. Have this in mind when it comes to weekend hours. Other than that, um, they should respond to you within 24 hours if you message them um, or communicate with them between Monday and Friday. I will also give you an aside too when, when it comes to weekends. I still respond and I encourage all business owners in any industry, even if you're, you don't work on weekends, have an automated response or at least like the message to indicate you have received it. You were acknowledging it. Um, I recently had this happen with somebody who has actually known me for a little while and should have remembered that I don't work weekends. But you know what? I didn't want to, it's a combination of I didn't want to be rude, but I also wanted to validate that, yes, you matter to me. I'm just not working right now because it's Saturday evening. <laughs> so I, I, I did. I, I hearted her message. I'm like, absolutely. I'm going to get right on that. We'll talk soon. And she was totally cool with that. And come Monday morning, 7 a.m., I delivered everything I promised. She was super happy. And she's like, awesome, thank you. She didn't panic at all. She even said, like, oh, wow, I realized it was a weekend. Like, yeah, no problem. She was grateful that and, and appreciative that I at least took 30 seconds out of my weekend to acknowledge that she communicated with me. So please, like, keep that in mind. But, yeah, otherwise, if it's Monday through Friday and they still haven't responded and it's, like, been a couple days – Personal things could happen. I've had that happen um, myself. I'll be transparent. I, I feel like maybe I have lost a couple potential authors because they messaged me on a work day, you know, and within reasonable thing. But I just had personal life issues. Like, you know, like a family death. That's on me, you know, and that's totally fine. But mark it off. If they are really responsive, then kudos. And they're, you know, just shows that they're good with managing their time. Is the focus more on the goals and your goals than on the money. This is something that you can absolutely glean from the inquiry experience, from the intake form, from their overall messaging. And here's how. You should be able to ask questions and they're able to give you answers without attaching numbers to it 
or without being without being politically uh like like without sounding like a political answer i'll give a really really solid example um if you ask me about my editing process i'll just tell you or you ask me like hey what's your experience if you message me questions like that i'll message you back and give you the response and i'll ask you hey, th- this is so great. Like, uh, when did you finish your manuscript? And you'll be like, yeah, I did. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's awesome. So what are what are your goals now? Are you looking to uh, independently publish or self-publish? Are you looking for traditional? Like, that's usually my, my initial question because I'm just curious. Because <laughs> your answer to that question tells me a lot about what your goals are in just that one answer. But you know, if I'm asking you about your goals, that I just genuinely want to know more about you. And why did you write this? What are you looking for? And I can do that all in messaging. I've seen conversations. I've had a couple colleagues share with me conversations they've had with other service providers that they were genuinely interested in working with. They just had a couple questions to clarify for them their understanding of what the service is even about. And one in particular comes to mind responded, I saw this message, with literally no answer other than you're going to, like, the way they worded it was basically, you have to pay $4,000 to learn any of this and get my response. Wow, okay. Um, There are some people who operate like that. I would say, it's not to say that they're terrible, but I would say you can absolutely accurately glean from that sort of messaging that they're more focused on your money and getting it from you than they are about providing you with excellent service and without you know providing with you with a, a great product or a great experience i say that's a big red flag and that doesn't mean they're a thief or a scam or anything but it does absolutely strongly suggest also that the service they are providing may not be the highest quality here's how that works If a service provider or just an entrepreneur in general is focused on the bottom dollar and really just zeroed in on that bottom dollar and making that income, that usually, usually comes out of financial panic, which exists because the personal finances aren't doing so hot. And that could be because, and it typically is, when I say could, it really typically is. I've seen this far too consistently than not. Typically, it's because the sales aren't going so well. And if the sales aren't going so well, it's because the product isn't that great. How do I know about that? Well, even if you have only two or three people initially try the product when it's brand new or the service when it's brand new, when it's excellent, they're going to keep talking about it. They're not going to shut up about that. They want the world to know, oh my gosh, this person is amazing and you need to work with them. But if that's not happening, it's usually because the product or service wasn't that great. And they're just too nice to say anything bad about it. You know what I mean? So there's this this whole chain of events that lead to this desperation and focus on money. Now, I'm going to be completely honest. When I really first initially started off running my own business as an editor, was there a dry spell in my finances? You betcha. Was there an entire week where I had no food in my fridge or my cupboard or even able to obtain in the bodega downstairs? You know, like, Was I able to eat? No, I literally went a whole week where the hunger pains were very real. But I did not let that impact or affect in any way how I treated people or how I ran my business. Did it show up in my mentor conversations when I was working with a business mentor? And she's like, wow, Nikki, are you okay? Is there any way I can help you? 
<laughs> I mean, yeah, sure. But she wasn't a client. She wasn't any part of my business. Like she was just helping me, you know, like kind of work through the, the back end of like, okay, so how do I turn this around? But at no point was I ever using, like ever letting those hunger pains or ever letting the financial concerns or worries freak me out enough that I stopped giving excellent service, you know, cause my focus was still on supporting you still on supporting your success because your success means my success. It's all about the long game. It's all about the long run. I never know. And I will never know when the next book I edit becomes the next shadow and bone. You know what I mean? Like I, I'll never know. There's no way to know that. Um, or the next Harry Potter or the next 50 shades. You know, like you never know all these books did not go through the editing process with, oh my gosh, it's going to have a Netflix special attached to it. It was just like, all right, here's a book for editing it, but we're going to provide excellent service as we do. That's what I mean. Like when you're talking with somebody, when you're looking at their messaging, look for all those signs and signals that the focus is on the goal, your goal, specifically you, far more than the money. I did want to attach here too. Um, my questionnaire, like my intake form does ask, what is your monthly budget? That is a combination of, I do want to kind of see if you are someone who's aware that this does require an investment. Cause there, I'll be honest, there are some writers out there and some aspiring authors who want professional services for free. And that just doesn't, you, you really don't get professional quality for free unless you're their best friend. And I say that because I have one best friend who I do edit for free. <laughs> we've, been, we've known each other since high school, like, duh. Um, and, and he's been massively supportive. He actually uh, works with me now. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah, I'll do that. But no, like you, you do have to be aware that there are, there is some investment involved, but mostly primarily what that question exists for is to indicate to me the probability that I'm, we're going to have to talk about a payment plan. Now, if you mark off like the higher end for like, you know, you can just go ahead and slap down several thousand a month. That tells me that you could probably go ahead and pay for this upfront, which is obviously always preferable. I always joke about that. I'm like, I have payment plans available and they're going to stop you from paying me up front. It's always preferable. I would love to get several thousand just on the dot, you know, wouldn't you? <laughs> but again, my goal is on your success. And if that means we got to chunk it down so you can afford it. And I've done that with, with pretty much uh, everybody I'm working with right now. That's fine. And again, I want you to succeed. So that's why that question exists. So I want, and so when you see questions like that in other forms, be aware that yeah, they do want to make sure that you understand this does require some investment, but they're also should be wanting to know, okay, how can I best help you and meet you where you're at? That's just, that's just a nice non-confrontational way of figuring that out. It was a lot to talk about number one, but that really, that number one, you know, how was the experience is so important. Okay. Number two, are you able to schedule a complimentary consultation? Circle one. Yes. A calendar link was provided with the form. That's how I do. Like once you finish the intake form, you have access to my calendar so you can schedule a consultation that is entirely free. Whatever a service provider does that, that is phenomenal. It shows that they are very serious about, again, providing you with excellent service. So they want to talk with you. They want to meet you face to face as much as possible over Zoom or whatever platform they use, probably Zoom. I use Zoom. And they want to ensure that you're on the same page. Again, pun intended. 
I saw this meme that said, intend your puns weaklings, and that just inspired me. So yes, I intend all my puns. You know, that just means that they, they really want to know you and work with you as a person, as well as a professional. Maybe, yes, you do, you did get a complimentary consultation, but only after you requested one. That's not bad, but it should be a question mark. Um, just wondering like, okay, how much am I going to have to keep on them to get what I need done? That's just what that indicates. It may also indicate that they're a fantastic editor, but they're not that familiar with business operations. That That is quite popular in this, in this field. Like, they're like, oh yeah, no, yeah, well, I can definitely do a consultation. They probably just forgot about it. And if they forgot about it, it typically is because the business end isn't at the forefront. My business side is always at the forefront. It's like this uh, static hum <laughs> under everything I do. And then there's no or not sure. That would be when things go from question mark level to red flag level. If they don't give you a complimentary consultation or they offer a consultation, but you have to pay for it, I'll say this specifically for editing. It should be complimentary. Most professions should be complimentary. I do have a colleague and a dear friend who does charge for her consultations, but that's because that is the bulk of what she does is she gives you like a two hour consultation to help you get your product off the ground. And then if you want to continue working with her, cool. It, but you probably won't need to because she's that thorough in that one consultation. You're just paying for her time. And I absolutely support that. She's also in a completely different industry in which this charging for those consultations makes sense. In editing, though, it doesn't make sense, especially if the consultation is only 30 minutes to an hour. I would rather spend 30 minutes to an hour not getting paid <laughs> to just figure out how I can best help you and how we can move forward than losing the opportunity to work with you because I'm trying to charge you 50 bucks to talk with me. You know what I mean? It just, I, it doesn't, the numbers just don't add up. I'd rather give you the value than, than just take your money. Uh, <laughs> so, so just, that's why I have that on there. And so, I mean, you do what you want. There are some people probably going to fight me on this. Be like, no, charge for your time. Yeah, but I don't know. 30 minutes out of my day isn't much. It's a coffee trip, you know? It's <laughs> I'm happy to talk with you and really uh, get down into the weeds of what we need to do to get you where you want to go. All right, number three. Did they provide you with a detailed proposal and contract? And then mark all that apply. Again, the more you mark down, the better it looks. Now, detailed being the operative word here because... They could have like a two sentence contract. I have seen those. That does nothing to protect protect you or them. Nothing at all. So there's a couple things that I have for you to like look for right away. I also have a whole other sheet in this workbook that will go really in depth into this. But just a quick overview: Were the uh, services itemized? The, okay, so, so it says um, it's worded itemized services offered. They should have that. If they don't, that's usually not a red flag. That might just be an oversight. So just slide the proposal back and be like, hey, can I get what your services are itemized? But if they already have it itemized, like I do, mark it off. Woohoo! They know what they're doing on that on that end. Because basically, they're promising you specifics and you're receiving specifics. And, so there's, and I'll go on this again in depth in a moment. But it just helps clear the air on any questions of like, well, I'm paying for this. What am I getting? Detailed copyright and confidentiality clauses. 
Again, another section I'm going to talk about in more detail in a moment, but just mark this off. If they have separate sections and they're like a paragraph long or maybe a couple sentences at least, but it, it very clearly identifies the copyright and confidentiality clauses, mark that off. That has to be in there. If it's not in there, do not sign that contract. Do not exchange money. No, hold that. Honestly, if it's not in that contract, that actually should be a red flag. It could honestly be an oversight, especially if someone new to running a business and doesn't know how to um, draft a contract. But it's still a red flag because that is if let's okay, let's just say, for example, there isn't one. And there's no copyright or confidentiality clauses and you sign it and you pay them and you hand over your manuscript. That means that they could legally take your money and take your work and publish it as their own as long as they change a few things because there's nothing in the contract that says they can't and you signed and you paid and you gave them your baby. That should make you shudder. It's happened to people why I created this workbook and this podcast. (laughs) I don't want that to happen to you. So definitely make sure those are there. Payments and or payment plan notated with dates. This is another protection measure for both of you. On your end as the client, you want and need to know when those payments are scheduled to come out if you're on a payment plan. Or you want to know what the total is and then can you pay it all up front? Obviously, yes. <laughs> Anybody who penalizes you for paying all up front, red flag. Wow, why would they do that? There are some companies who do that. Like, why the heck? Get your money faster. Like, that's so stupid. When it's an individual, yeah, no. They're going to want the money up front. That's always preferable. <laughs> I might even send you a big thank you package if you pay me all up front. <laughs> Anyways, you want the dates notated. Just so you know when it's supposed to come out, how much is supposed to come out. So just in case there's an accidental glitch, maybe there's a double charge, or maybe you're not charged, or, you know, whatever the weird uh, technical things that have nothing to do with the editor and everything to do with technology, those things happen, you have the paperwork to back up, hey, this is how it's supposed to be. Now on the flip end, and I've had a, I've had this experience, I'm like, ooh, did they read this thoroughly? If you don't pay, I have the schedule as well, because we both signed the contract. So I know when you're supposed to pay me. And if you don't pay me, I also know what that date is because it's also in the contract when that uh, late fee applies. If I don't put a late fee in, and I'm kicking myself because I actually had one experience where I didn't put a late fee in and they still haven't paid me. Um, The payment date is in there, so I know it's late, but I didn't attach the late fee clause, so I can't charge them a late fee even though they're late in the payment. This protects me as well. They signed the contract. It's notated with the dates and the amount. It's very specific. They did read it because they had questioned about other parts of the contract. They signed it. Now, it's actually a good friend of mine, so I'm not hounding them for money. I actually just don't even care. But this experience is a good example of why that's so important for both you and the editor. When they have that already in the proposal and contract, that's just another indication that they're serious about your work as much as theirs. If you get all three of these marked off, that actually indicates to you right off the bat that they're very aware of the legal end of business. And that's just so good. So, so good. Because if they're very aware of the legal end, they're much, much less likely to be a scammer. Because scammers typically don't really know legalities. It's so weird, but yeah. 
Number four, what type of credentials do they have to support their experience? And Mark all would apply. I have this in here because again, just because an editor does not have a long list of books published on Amazon Kindle or available to buy at Barnes and Noble does not mean they don't know what they're doing. It probably means that they have been editing for years elsewhere. That's actually me. That's my case. Do I have some books available on Amazon? Yeah. One of them is on ceramic pottery and ancient Maya <laughs> from like 2008, 2009. I think he actually published it in 2011, but I worked on it in 2008, 2009. It was a group effort. It was collaborative. I was actually credited and thanked in the acknowledgement as one of the supporting editors and collaborators on the project. It's not the world's most interesting read, but he was a fantastic professor. He's, he's still a good friend to this day. And we even had a good laugh. He's like, no one's ever going to read the books I write. If they're too dry. I'm like, well, I might end up teaching a class one day. I'll be sure to use it. <laughs> it is actually really fascinating if you're into that. But that being said, like you can go on Amazon. It's there. Does that mean I don't know how to um, edit folklore books? Does that mean I don't know how to edit sci-fi or fiction? No. It actually indicates I do know how to edit things. I'm just branching out recently into more of the fiction end. Um, I do have, uh, I think, two books on Amazon Kindle that have been published. One super recently, one years and years ago. I actually completely forgot I edited it. And I forgot because they didn't pay me to edit it. I just did it as a friend. But now I have the most recent one. They did pay me to edit it. Um, it's fantastic. And, you know, it's there. But that's it. But... Does that minimal or non-existent book list mean that I don't know what I'm doing? Hell no. I know exactly what I'm doing. I've been editing for 15 years. I've had the term editor attached to my name since I was 14 years old. True story. So that's why I created this question. Number four. That came from me. You know, like, I have the credentials. It's just not, you know, on Netflix yet. Previous editing experience. And that's where that, that um, asterisk is I put in there previous editing experience does not have to be within the same category you are working in. The primary focus should be on overall editing experience, whether it's in academia, whether it's in fiction or journalism, etc, etc. Keep in mind, however, that the experience should be transferable. Meaning, let's say you're, you're talking with somebody and you have a medical mystery novel and they haven't edited a medical mystery novel yet, but they have a couple of years as a medical journal editor, you know, like maybe they've worked in an academic sense, or maybe they've worked with a with a hospital or something, and they have absolutely edited medical journal articles. They're going to do great with your novel. They really are, because they're going to have that kind of expertise going in that someone like me isn't. Like if you came to me with a medical mystery novel, I'd take a look at it, but if it's too complicated and too technical in nature, for, like for medicine and, and hospitals and just all the all that profession, I'll probably tell you, you know what, this is kind of beyond the scope of my own expertise. Here's somebody else that I'd recommend, you know, I'm gonna be honest about that, you want to make sure that whatever experience they have, it transfers and transfers well. Now, if you have a novel, just saying a little commercial break here, if you have a novel that is heavy in folklore and spirituality and like the old world gods or whatever, I am absolutely your editor to go to. If you have a book that involves voodoo, I'm your editor. If you have a book that involves zombies, I'm your editor. <laughs> I have experience in this. Okay, I am that editor. Now, a medical journal editor, 
would not be a good person to have edited that kind of material. You know what I mean? Like you just, we're all good editors. We just have experiences that differentiate. So take a look at that, but just also just make sure that when they're saying, Hey, I can edit your book. I'm an editor. Just make sure they have some sort of experience, some sort of experience. Do they have a formal degree and or certification? It's not entirely necessary, but it's so valuable. A formal degree, meaning associate's degree, bachelor's degree, master's and PhDs are fantastic. I mean, if someone has a PhD and that's one of my goals, they definitely know how to write and edit like nothing else because they literally spent six years doing nothing but. (laughs) But even a bachelor's degree or an associate's degree, they have to go through liberal arts, which means they have to have professional training in how to write and edit professionally. And when I say end edit, it's not like they're taking editing 101, but what happens is you typically don't have editors when you're a college student. You got to learn how to edit it yourself. Self-editing is just part par for the course as a liberal arts major, as a liberal arts student. And then you go into whatever field you go into. For me, it was anthropology. And that's actually how my editing never stopped. You know, once I did go into college, I still continued editing. Not just my own papers, but my my classmates, my colleagues, like they're like, wow, Nikki, you really know how to write. Can you edit this for me? So maybe at that point, I didn't have the title attached, but I was still doing it and consistently. Um, And later on, when I was just digitizing thesis into the ScholarWorks program for a university, my editing glasses were on. And when I came, I actually did come across a thesis that was very, very poorly written and just not just like the, okay, the story was good. But there are a lot of uh, technical errors. There are a lot of spelling issues, punctuations missed, and all that. But it was signed off by the faculty that oversaw it. And so I, as I, I put on my editing hat or my editor hat and went to my supervisor with this big, thick thesis in my hand. I said, we got to talk about this. Was I a professional editor at that point? No. Was I still editing? Heck yeah, I was. And they thanked me and the issue got resolved and questions were asked and meetings were had. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, and I was able to continue on with the work once the the, uh, things were fixed and they thanked me for being so attentive to it. So things like that, look, look for that. If they have a formal degree, that just means that they have more finesse and professional training, even if it's not in English or the literary arts or anything like that. A formal degree means they know how to read, write, and articulate their thoughts. That's always great. Certifications are always a bonus, but not necessary. I absolutely know which certification I want to get from the University of Chicago. I just don't have $7,000 to throw at it right now. They don't take financial aid for that certificate. They don't have a payment plan for that certificate. They're kind of being hard butts when it comes to that certificate. (laughs) So the day I have just $7,000 to just wee into the wind, yeah, I'll get that certificate. (laughs) But that's not today. So I don't have a certification in editing. But again, I do have 15 years of experience. So the certification is just a gold star. Keep that in mind. But again, if they have it, it just more goes to like, yes, they're absolutely dedicated to the craft and good on them. They're going to do a good job with you. Do they have reviews from clients and slash or colleagues? If they've been working for a while as an editor, they should have reviews from clients somewhere. Maybe they don't have a formal review list on their page. They really should. But if they don't, it's probably going to be on their social media. Now, let's say they're brand new to the field, but they have editing experience. Go to LinkedIn. 
I should have put this in the workbook. Go to LinkedIn. They should have a LinkedIn page. If they don't, I have questions. But it's it's in everybody's and it's in your good uh, good favor too to have a LinkedIn because LinkedIn is very very stringent and strict on the legalities of everything. I have two pages. I have my own personal page with my legal name that appears in my social security card. But then I also have my professional page or company page under my pseudonym, Nikki Auberkett. Fun fact, Nikki Auberkett is not my actual legal name. It is my pen name, my pseudonym, my professional name. But LinkedIn does not allow people to have uh, full on personal pages under professional names. It has to be your legal name. So I did that. You can go to my LinkedIn page and scroll down towards the bottom to the referral section and see a really nice, healthy list of referrals from people and professionals over the years who I've edited for. Sometimes with my editing title attached, sometimes not, but I was still editing. This is a nice way to just kind of check that back end. Um, they're from colleagues. They're from not necessarily clients, but they're, yeah, colleagues, um, other professionals. You can you can see that experience, especially and even if they don't, the editor you're, you're interviewing or looking to work with doesn't have that Amazon list built up yet. Okay, number five. And that's the last, this is the last one on this worksheet. What is their personal work style? And does it match your own? And circle one. This is to help you just kind of gauge, will it be a ma best match for you? Um, so let's say you love and prefer collaborative work. You want to know details of how things are going, maybe not day by day because it's a little heavy, but you know, just very consistently. Is that how this editor does? I'll let you know right away. That's how I do. Um, you can ask any of the authors I'm currently working with. Yeah, no, we're constantly updating each other. And actually, <laughs> when I was going through my, actually, it was funny, um, the first week of August, aside from Irish Fest, the place I was visiting, yeah, Waterloo, Iowa, they actually lost internet. One of the towers was knocked down from a storm in Cedar Rapids, which meant that US Cellular and T-Mobile suddenly didn't have internet. Um, we had phone access, but the internet was down. So I was silent for a few days because I just couldn't get on. Like I even had to uh, find one little blip of a moment of internet access to let somebody know like, hey, I won't be able to do calls today. I have to reschedule. And then when I had like five minutes to reschedule some of my meetings, I did. I let them know why. But I didn't get a chance. And then I lost my internet connection. So I wasn't posting on Instagram. I wasn't doing my podcast. And one of my authors that I have been working with she noticed this because I'm usually very communicative. So she actually messaged me. She's like, are you okay? Are you alive? Like, I'm just making sure you're okay. Not only like three or four days had gone by, but she's so used to me being in touch and being on top of everything that when that tower went down, she, she lives in California. So she wasn't aware of like the stuff like that, but she had heard weather issues had happened. So when I was finally able to get internet and I saw her message, I let her, I'm like, oh my gosh, yeah, no, I'm alive. Thank you so much for checking in on me. Here's what happened. She's like, you know what? I kind of figured after a moment when I thought about it, but I still wanted to make sure you're okay. That's collaborative process. That's communication. Not every professional editor works like that. And I've read from editors who've been in the business for 15, 20 years, you know, they've been doing this for their entire lives. A lot of that, a lot of the lack of this comes from having worked with major publishing houses like Random House, like Penguin Publishing, like uh, Macmillan, like like any of those that you could think of, the big five. 
their process is not collaborative so much, if at all. What typically happens is the author submits their manuscript, it's accepted, it goes to the editor, and you don't hear from the editor or the publishing house for a month or a couple months. They contact you, when it's done, they send it back to you. There are several, several amazing and skilled and professional editors who prefer that work style. There are also authors who prefer that work style. So if you are someone who doesn't want me in your inbox in any way, like not your messaging, not your email, anything like that, talking consistently about your work and progress and all that, you just want to give it to me and go on your merry little way until I'm done. I could work with that. I just ra- would rather not. And I'll, I would let you know. And you can tell from my own way and also listening to this, uh, we're probably just not going to be a good match on that end. So I would be happy to refer you to somebody else who does actually work like that. And, and you guys could be a good match. So, so that's where that section of will be unavailable until project is finished is circled. Um, and then there's the unknown. If you don't know what the personal work style is, that's kind of a flag that they haven't provided you with enough information to glean from to figure this out. That typically would indicate they're not being that open about how they operate their business. And I would say that's kind of a red flag for me. It doesn't mean they're a scammer, but I'm just saying I'm not comfortable if I can't see how somebody operates their business. So I would recommend that you be uncomfortable if you can't figure out how somebody operates their business. <laughs> so there's that worksheet. It's like I said, it's pretty simple. This walkthrough is a little lengthy just because I want to explain everything so you can really use this powerfully. Tune in next week for the second part of this podcast mini series mini lesson whatever you want to call it we will be going over contract details and things to look out for and red flags to look out for basically what should and maybe should not be included when you're looking at your proposal and contract You've been listening to The Writer's Workshop. If you want to learn more about developing your craft or you're ready for an editor to take a look at your manuscript, head on over to NikkiAuberkit.com. Be sure to follow me on Instagram as well for more tips, tricks, and inspiration. And as always, keep on writing.